listening to the Lutheran Ladies Lounge podcast. I'm Sarah. I'm Erin. I'm Bree. And I'm Rachel. And today is another special day. We have a guest in studio. We love it when we have another Lutheran lady in the Lutheran Ladies Lounge with us to share some expertise and wisdom and uh, lend another voice to all the conversations that we like to have. It's good to have uh, our friend and uh, a very frequent, regular voice on KFUO Radio, Deaconess Heidi Gaiman, in studio with us. Yeah. This is fantastic. We have been waiting for this one. It's so welcome, Heidi. to be with you guys. Thanks for having me. And Heidi is a, a licensed clinical social worker, so you can all guess what we're about to talk about. <laughs> Something probably mental health social work related, uh, which I think is a very needed thing in our conversations everywhere, in every medium. I think we might touch on something uh, that, that has come up several times in our podcast, too. It's so. almost like we planned this episode. It's almost like we planned it. Wait. <laughs> What? what? So, Aaron, take it away. This is an Aaron one question interview. What one question yes. are we asking? So, Heidi, what should we be talking about that we aren't talking about? I think the magic word of the day is empathy. Yes. Empathy. Yes. empathy. We want to talk about it. Mm-hmm. It's yes, sort of a do. buzzword right now. It is. It has come up so many times in uh, whatever, like 20 episodes of our podcast. Uh-huh. It keeps coming up. And yet, empathy. What is it actually? <laughs> yeah, I think it's really hard because anytime something becomes a buzzword, we actually get a little concerned about dialing it back to understand the definition of it then. Mm-hmm. You know, what is empathy really? And I think anytime you talk about words we need to remember, and I bring this up on KFUO Mental Health Mondays a lot, that words are there to serve us. And so they're kind of fluid, like they change and we need to identify the concepts around that in order for us to get a fuller picture of what it is. You know, it's it's really words are a tool for us to understand our systems and our relationships and the way we interact. And so there's way more baggage in a single word than I think modern media when we throw out the word empathy identifies so So this is a word with baggage but how would you define it personally strip away the baggage just give it to us (laughs) when i think about the word empathy the words the other come to mind a lot and there's a really helpful ted talk on this where one of the presenters talks about just the simple concept of having dinner with the other And so when I think of that, I challenge the listener, who is the other in your life, which is generally the people especially that we have the hardest time seeing their perspective Mm -hmm. because that stretches the reaches of empathy. Mm -hmm. It's easy for me to sit down with you guys for the most part and be empathetic to what you're talking about because we have similar worldviews and perspectives. We're also going to find some differences. And that's one thing that stretches relationships over time is Mm -hmm. because more of that stuff comes out when you're in deeper relationships. It's one reason why marriage or really truly intimate friendships and families of origin are complicated (laughs) is because we get to the real stuff that requires some empathy for us. And so... I I like to keep it as simple as that, like our ability to see from the perspective of the other. And there is emotion, cognition, as well as some physical presence involved with that. How has social media affected our ability to empathize with other people, whether or not we know them in person? Yeah, one thing I think first of all, I need to say is that I love social media. Like I I, I genuinely love it. And so uh, I have a little problem with the haters of social media that are like, it's ruining our society. You know, I think anything that can be true of. I'm going to just like be quiet here for a bit. (laughs) Rachel, Rachel, have you seen a meme? Have you ever seen a meme? I rest my case. I I love hate relationships. But no, I empathize with your point of view. There necessarily share it just like anything else it can be really unhealthy for us and Mm -hmm. that's a super important thing to recognize i think that one of the problems with social media is that it's new enough that we haven't 
dove into so much research that has reliability and longevity for us to identify really healthy ways to interact with it and have it in our lives. And so I do feel similarly, Rachel, that I have a love-hate relationship (laughs) with it. As a therapist, I see so many destructive things on social media, and especially when we're talking about the concept of empathy. my friend calls it the cat and lawnmower syndrome, where I, I know I just <laughs> kind of like that. Really ominous. I wanted to get that into this podcast. Um, the idea that I post something about my cat and you respond with something about your lawnmower, oh, okay. mm-hmm. and you better. feel <laughs> we're not like where running I over it was going. cats with uh, lawnmowers. Yeah. That's, That's what terrible. I was already in the lawnmower. No, now I have that image. <laughs> Thanks, you guys. Okay. Um, I don't know what's wrong with you guys. I was imagining a cat pushing a lawnmower. That means you're kind of awesome. I love it. I love it. But yeah, like we, I'm posting about one thing and you're responding about another thing Mm. and you can see the connection, but you're really posting about yourself. So this happens a lot in comment threads. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I'm posting about something, looking for some connection with the people online because that's really the point of social media is still connection, not advertisement, although there are entire (laughs) corporations designed around that. Um, I won't go into that in my... We all know failure to empathize with them. I just picked five off the top of my head. Right. (laughs) Those that shall not be named. (laughs) Uh, And so you comment, though, with essentially another post, like you're posting something about yourself instead of really connecting and getting into a vantage point of empathy for the original post on the thread. And I think that people do this unintentionally. It's people are trying to connect. Mm -hmm. But have you ever just even like at the narthex at church or um, somewhere like the grocery store, like tried to have a conversation with someone new and they just have a very different way of connecting? Like Mm -hmm. they're what we call bids for connection. Don't get read very easily by you because you connect differently. So this is especially true on social media because there's, you know, no facial expressions, mm-hmm. uh, especially when you're looking for so we know from research why I that use the smiley face a lot. I know Emojis. like overuse that's it. That's why like, I love gifts yeah. actually. Oh right. Because you feel like you <laughs> are able to so communicate. Much. Like this better. is what I'm thinking in my head yeah. right now. And here's a picture <laughs> yes. that shows right. it exactly. Yes. Right. And and we're gonna use the characters from several late nineties TV series yes. to help us express that together. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Totally true. Yeah, and so being able to get in a space where um you are connecting to the original post and you're on the same page about what that thing is, is very difficult on social media. So then when you start a thread, for instance, (laughs) and forever, whatever reason, I don't know if I'm allowed to say certain medias, but there is one outlet where people are more challenged by this than others. And I think it's because it is more conversation uh, friendly, Mm -hmm. you know, than other social medias, like I, if I just text you a picture with a small comment, like we're not actually really starting a conversation compared to like the one outlet that is like more conversation focused with threads and and you know you can Do you add mean your Facebook. Yeah, can I we say can that? Say that. We can yeah, say we that. talk. We say that all yeah. the time. I don't know. <laughs> I'm very like Facebook. <laughs> okay, I don't know if I can say. It. <laughs> I didn't want to have to like pay an advertiser for this. <laughs> um, when people respond, they're. It's not that they lack empathy, although that is sometimes an issue. We have a very hard time seeing from the perspective of the other. Mm-hmm. We're not actually even responding to the other in our current culture. We're trying to get heard yep. ourselves. Mm-hmm. So we turn it into the conversation we want to have yep. instead of if I could help anyone understand one thing about empathy and social media, it's read that p- post for the person posting it, mm-hmm. not for yourself or anyone else around That's you. so good. Mm-hmm. That you're not you're listening to actually listen and not just to find your opening and get your you know sharing thing out there. Mm-hmm. And I don't think people do this intentionally. Like again, in order to have empathy in our conversation about empathy, like no one is well maybe a small crowd is, but most people <laughs> are actually genuinely trying to connect and respond in connection. But if I could get them to double back and think about the other, what is going on in the person's head who's posting it instead of just what I 
am thinking about when mm-hmm. I read it. That would help us be able to have a more empathetic interaction on That's so good. Facebook, yeah. especially. I'm using that. Do I'm it. stealing it. <laughs> Sorry. I just think that some of the other media outlets, now that I can share it, I think Instagram <laughs> tends toward having a little bit more of a healthy interaction mostly because it's so reduced mm-hmm. as far as commenting so you can't really have a like heart-to-heart conversation in mm-hmm. any way shape or form and Facebook gives us the like presentation that you can mm-hmm. so we don't really gauge well when we should pull it off of a comment thread and move to instant messaging or is that even thing direct messaging <laughs> no one uses instant messaging anymore AOL. or text that person or call them or ask them for coffee and have a conversation sure. about it you know making those decisions of what conversations are appropriate where also will give us a greater sense of safety on the internet and mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. feeling like we are getting the empathy we need as well as giving it. Instagram helps because it is so photo focused mm-hmm. that you feel like you're entering someone's world without the need to give them a dissertation about what you think about that world. Mm-hmm. And so we yeah. experience the other naturally there without needing to share what our opinions of that are. Yeah. Yeah, they're And very you're kind of yeah. limited in your responses on Instagram to either affirm or ignore. Like, I mean, there's obviously you can comment more, but the comments tend to be just sort of short, you know, awesome, you know, yeah. very affirm- affirmative kind of things. And if you don't like something, you tend to just not engage. Yeah. Yeah. It's which true. is, I think, a model for how we can do more social media. <laughs> no, absolutely. And I think one thing about empathy that comes to mind with social media, too, is that since empathy is also related to emotions, not just thoughts. Since Facebook added the different emojis, if you will, so you can like and love, you can get angry, you Uh can be sad. But if you think about, we don't even really define those well. And if I'm not having a conversation with you about what angry means for you, I do not understand why you can be very confusing on this one. She mm-hmm. often She's uses the, the angry react. <laughs> she is not angry. Honestly, I think she's an angry person. I'm not an angry she's person. Not However, <laughs> I do think that some people use use that in sort of they sort of abuse the privilege mm-hmm. of it. Like when they use the cackle react because they are they're actually like laughing at you. Yeah, and mocking you. Uh-huh. They're mocking you. And yeah, so I think that that, uh-huh. it's mm-hmm. it's a thing where it's become something that nobody saw coming necessarily that is being misused now. Yeah. Yeah, and it's confusing as an author, I'll say, like from my particular <laughs> vantage point. Like I will write an article and it's a very vulnerable thing to write something, yeah. and I'm hoping that people are reading it from the best perspective and if anyone knows me, I want them to know that I tenderly care for people and I want to be an empathetic person. That's a huge piece of my innate personality is that desire for people to see that. And so then when you put it out there and someone has an angry reaction to your <laughs> article, I'm always wondering, is it the content that you're angry about or is it like there's a reason to have an angry emoji when someone posts an article about babies that are being harmed or something like that Mm -hmm. but are you angry about the the material like we're connecting on this Mm -hmm. we're seeing the same perspective or are you angry at me yeah or then there's me and i always tend to just put hearts on absolutely everything Mm -hmm. if i engage with you it's a heart i overuse the heart to react i think social media certainly is a good tool i think that when we try to have discussions that require an extra measure of empathy, it can be harmful. So I kind of want to take it offline, see what I did there, Mm -hmm. and just talk about having real-life conversations with people because we're all aware, like, in our current societal, political climate, and even, like, amongst Missouri Synod Lutherans, it just feels like even though we're, we all sort of ascribe to those doctrines and that faith and that worldview, maybe not worldview, scratch that, we can be all so starkly different. Do you have any, like, mm-hmm. strategies or tips for talking about hard things, mm-hmm. like talking about difficult things, but doing so with with empathy, 
and grace and understanding. So not avoiding the conversation. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. Right. Having the hard conversations. Because mm-hmm. I, I think that that's part of the problem, too, is... I mean, social media, you're you're behind a screen, mm-hmm. you know, you uh, keyboard words, key, the cat, that's like keyboard on the keyboard. Yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> that's what we that's what we contend with. But mm-hmm. we've mustered the bravery to have these hard discussions. How do we do so without like flying off the handle? <laughs> yeah. How, so how do we actually have hard discussions online, even instead of taking it offline? Is that the question? No, I, I think just for in for both yeah. in real life and yeah on screen sure sure i think that one thing i'm going to tackle first is how does maybe have a little bit more empathy actually online mm-hmm. you know actually engaging in hat i think it's good to have hard discussions anywhere and open hard conversations that's actually my whole jam is opening <laughs> hard conversations online and so i think one way to do that is to understand um the empathy gap so i am not going to be able to have empathy with something that I haven't really dealt with internally for myself. So there's a huge connection in empathy and compassion. And Mm -hmm. so in the areas where we see a lack of compassion for the other, we need to check what's going on inside of us about that topic. So... Mm -hmm. For instance, and I'll just be bold, in LCMS Lutheran land, we have a little bit of a hard time having helpful discussions around anything that touches on worship <laughs> online. <What? laughs> no way. It's really hard. I have never heard anything that like that. A productive conversation. <laughs> I mean, and also I could post about my cat. And I actually have, I'm getting... A lot of comments about how people enjoy my Facebook disclaimers now, because on my personal page, I have a lot of disclaimers like, please don't make this post about my cat about worship or women being pastors or, you know, any of those hot button issues, because that's not what this post is about. So I actually use a lot of disclaimers in order to tell people what I'm not talking about. Mm -hmm. So that's one way to be acknowledge the elephants in the room when you go to post or when you go to comment. Mm -hmm. Say the things that you would want people to hear versus what you want them to definitely not hear and acknowledge that. Uh, Especially on social media, we have, we do have some real relationships. I want to acknowledge that. I think that's really important. Social media, I believe, and I've understood from several social media experts, if you will, people who have degrees and stuff like this, that social media should always drive us to face-to-face relationships. That should always be the goal. Yes. To gather. Yeah. yeah. And that's, I think that's, that's Jesus-y. You know, that's biblical. Like, he wants us <laughs> right. to gather in very real ways mm-hmm. and be in physical presence with one another. It's one reason he has the incarnation and the real presence and the Lord's Supper. Like, he wants to gather with us in physical, present ways, not just in abstract ways. And so we also want to utilize our tools in that way, too. But then to be able to create relationship in that weird place that is social media we have to go out of our way to recognize the tensions and the elephants right up front in a kind and compassionate way, in a way that is gentle. And I love the scripture when it's interpreted, let your reasonableness be evident to mm-hmm. all. Mm-hmm. That, ha- mm-hmm. that really connects to empathy on social media. Going out of your way to be overly reasonable mm-hmm. will go a long way. And so that's one of my best tips is to have some disclaimers or have just like, I understand that this could be heard this way. That's not the way I intend it. And just acknowledging that straight out front. When someone posts something especially on a comment thread underneath your post that you have a reaction to, pay attention to your body. If you are physically reacting to it, if you feel something in your chest or if you like want to stand <laughs> up or if you, you know, have a like a piercing headache suddenly. I mean, we have bodily reactions to things. And if we monitor even the heat in our body, if I'm having any of those reactions, I should wait. <laughs> I should give it 30 minutes. That's my rule when I'm doing emails, certainly. Oh, yeah. Uh, which is, that is a so nice hard. little overlap is I will I will often, I'm like, no, walk away. <laughs> oh. I'll come back to this later. And then and I do. Then I usually will write it. But then I 
again, walk away. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Come back to it later. Mm-hmm. <laughs> review again. Is this really what I want to communicate? Social media, it's rare that there's that kind of pause yeah. in responding because you'll never find it again. It's gone. So if right. you want to get your thought out, you got to get it out right away mm-hmm. or your chances missed to express your opinion. Right. And for so me, I felt. <laughs> For me, I think on social media, it's actually really helped to have a community of Lutheran ladies, both in our Facebook group, but also just floating around off on the web. Because I think about people like my grandmother, who was my Facebook friend until, you know, she left Facebook for good. Um, (laughs) But she's, I remember filtering myself thinking, Mm. My grandma might read this, Mm. you know, and now Mm. I can think of this older Mm. sister in Christ is going to read this. What would she say, Mm -hmm. you know, and we can we can practice that respect and that accountability, realizing that, okay, I'm going to be Lutheran. I'm going to be a lady, you know, and those two things Mm -hmm. are going to guide Mm -hmm. my interactions on social media so that I can honor, you know, the other people in the church and also Christ. Mm -hmm. Um, But knowing that it's not just the person out there who has said the thing that makes my blood boil that is listening, but also all these other people who can, if I let them, you know, um, show me a better way. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. so we can really raise raise mm-hmm. the bar for each other, I think, in our interactions that way. Yeah, yeah. I really, really appreciate that. And I do want to eventually get into the idea of over-empathizing, because mm. I think that also happens online especially. But one thing you just talked about there, Rachel, is building in some accountability and also some circles of friendship. So Mm. I'm not expecting the same thing out of my 2,000 Facebook followers that I would from a group of four college friends Mm. that I have a text message group with or a a direct message group with or WhatsApp or whatever else Mm. tools that we have. And then the Lutheran ladies, Lutheran ladies lounge is certainly (laughs) in between there where there's a lot of people and so I need to consider that Mm -hmm. am I getting what I need and am I giving what people need in the appropriate circles Mm -hmm. instead of trying to get empathy from a group that it's not really appropriate to seek that level of intimacy from Mm Yeah. So one way that that I've uh, I, I have not solved my issues with you know empathy and and what what uh, Peter Slayton in LC Miscommunications likes to call context collapse, which I think is also a really good way to to talk about this, and we can dig into that too if we have time. Um, but I I separate out uh, the the people that I'm having these conversations with. You know, I'll have. I'll have a group of people like my college friends. We have our own secret group on Facebook that we just post things to each other so that we know what we're experiencing there. We have the Lutheran Ladies Lounge where we have thousands of women, but it's a fantastic group for certain questions or issues that that we all may be dealing with. Um, And then I have other, you know, little uh, chat groups for for just separating people and, and separating into my own little contexts. Uh, because then you do, you can expect a better reaction and, and you're giving and getting what you expect to be getting and giving instead of just random, you know, posting something for all thousand of your friends on, on your Facebook page and not actually, and not actually doing what you want it to do. Yeah, frankly, mm-hmm. I think it's important that we understand that there are expectations tied to relationships mm-hmm. and that's a healthy thing that God gives us boundaries in relationships. And so we should certainly have expectations. But the reality is, is Facebook friends is a very limited relationship, if that's my only relationship with you. Mm -hmm. And so I have to have much less expectations Mm -hmm. from that than I do from my intimate circles. And I think it's helpful for people to dial in and consider who do you have in your life that is filling the needs that you have so that you can be a healthier person interacting online. Mm-hmm. And and I get that that's difficult. It's hard to find good friendships locally, especially, and we feel really like that touches on a lot of struggles that people have. And, and it's even an intimate question to consider, like, do you have some really close family or friendships that are fulfilling your needs? And I'm really sorry if that is a struggle for you, but it is easier when we're getting what we need locally in person with our very intimate family and friends to be 
a healthy empathy provider as well mm -hmm. as receiver online. Sure. Facebook is a place where you go, ideally, if you use it while you're going to give, not going to get and fill up your social needs, but to pour out into other people. Mm -hmm. yeah. All right. I think I got that. I have a question. Actually, it's a sort of a two-headed hydra weird question about empathy <laughs> in the church. In the church, we have several challenges that are similar to what we see on, on Facebook and in our, in our groups like The Lounge. One of these is that you have a whole bunch of really different people gathered together around a common purpose in the church, that purpose is Christ. But you've got people from all socioeconomic groups, educational backgrounds, men, women, hopefully racial diversity, age <laughs> diversity going on here. So how does that present a particular challenge, but also an opportunity to learn empathy? But the other question, and I'm gonna just throw these both at you at once and you can answer them in either order, um, has to do with what happens when people assume that because you share a faith, you share a whole lot of other points of view that maybe you don't. Mm. And so people get really sort of shocked if, say, you find out, okay, we believe the same thing about life in Christ. Hooray. What do you mean you voted for so-and-so? <laughs> I thought we were <laughs> I thought we were both Christians. That's a really good and question how do we in the church not expect too much and learn to have empathy, even when we get surprised mm -mm. by people having really widely different points of view? I know in our church, we've sort of decided we don't talk about politics because too many people got their feelings hurt with just that sort of scenario. Mm -hmm. So Heidi, I throw it to you. Talk about empathy in the church, either with our diversity mm -hmm. or with our oops, surprise, different points of view. Mm -hmm. How do we practice empathy in a loving way? Yeah, I think if we contextualize that concept of diversity with some of the things you recognized, as well as a lot of other factors, cultural phenomenon, cultural groups, uh, family of origin differences, you know, being able to understand that those are not surprising things is the beginning of empathy. So understanding that, of course, we're different, like God created people different. And that's a gorgeous thing. Instead of us looking, acting, thinking or emoting the same, that's boring. And so honoring that and, and I'm very concerned about how surprised we are by that still in our culture. <laughs> the fact that we have so many stereotypes shows up in our perceptions that come across as glaring surprises. So if someone walks up to me in my church, I immediately have a concept of whether they belong or don't belong, internally at least. Maybe I'm smart enough not to voice it, but I shouldn't I shouldn't be so surprised when I see something different in our midst. That is, by definition, who the body of Christ should be, whatever that different looks like. And that just might be, you know, let's be honest, somebody who dresses different than me, as simple as that, being able to expect that is the beginning of empathy instead of be surprised by it. Mm. Again, like I was talking about earlier, the empathy gap. So I have to have empathy for myself. So that's the other thing we start with. If I cannot have compassion for myself on an issue, I will not be able to give it to someone else. So this is one way we have a hard time accepting certain people that have struggled with a certain sin within our midst. And this goes from like big things that are actually sins to like tiny things that are not sins at all, like we talked about styles of worship and other weird things like that. So if I cannot imagine that I am capable of hurting someone with my words, or if I cannot imagine that I am capable of having an abortion, if I cannot imagine that I'm capable of something, I will struggle to give empathy for that thing. So I have to first, and this is like heavy scientific research, not Heidi's ideas. I have to first believe that I'm capable in order to ever touch that item with empathy. And so I think this actually really impacts the way we see people in other socioeconomic 
economic statuses and the way we see other races. Like, what are our beliefs about those things? Um, and how am I connected to those things? Not that I'm trying to take on a persona that I don't have or a gift that God hasn't given me. But at the same time, you know, I think being in that place of appreciating the other while still being like, there's not really at the end of the day an other like we're just children of God and people that he created and loves and sees as valuable individuals. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, it does. That you can start to understand the other by imagining yourself as the other. Mm. And then at the end of the day, maybe there isn't another. <laughs> yeah, I think that's what that when you begin to process that way, seeing yourself in, and that's at the very core of empathy we hear like walking a mile in someone else's shoes mm -hmm. and so I don't want to get to that kind of platitude level of it we are still honoring the individual I'm a big person about dualities right <laughs> that's kind of my thing so honoring the individuality of someone and the way that we are different but also at the same time holding space for the very many ways that we are alike and you have to honor both those things equally you can't yeah. ditch one mm -hmm. I think I think I often hear people wanting to jump right to the we're all the same. We are all we are yes. all children of God, which is right. true. And it's it's not like that's that's at all. I don't want to minimize that side of it, but they want to rush right past all of the ways that we are legitimately different mm -hmm. and ignore ignore that side of the conversation because it's usually the uncomfortable side. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And right. <laughs> it's, it's challenging because the, the definition that we are all children of God, if we are all, if we are all in the faith, we, we have that unity is actually the most deepest. It's the deepest identity we have, but to just ignore the rest of it, it ignores who they are well it also um, ignores god's plan for creation yeah. you know i yeah. get that the tower of babel i always wrestle with this tower of babel created a bunch of different languages uh race is a man-made concept so that's totally different but when we think about cultures and ethnicities and all of that like i think god might have had that anyway you know i don't mm. think that's a result of man's fall or anything i think our differences are designed in many ways by God and then he builds in us the ability to create new ideas and things and perceptions and so those are God concepts not man concepts yeah we often think that that being different is bad or that that someone thinks differently than me but I'm and I'm right of course mm -hmm. so that other person must be wrong it's like it illegitimizes yeah who they are as as having that commonality. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Which yeah. segues perfect into the second half of Rachel's question about especially go. politics. Mm -hmm. I am a person who has a very high tolerance for different opinions. So I read a lot of materials that are a completely different lens. And and people who follow me on Goodreads and things like that will notice a lot of my reviews <laughs> have some disclaimers about, you know, there's a lot of evolutionary thought here, but this content is really good. And so I think knowing where we're at on that spectrum of being able to tolerate taking in different views is just knowing yourself well. Now, I would challenge people to grow a little bit and be able to hear more different views, which we'll get on in just a second. But first to just know where you're at and be honest about that is really helpful. And so like we were talking about with social media, if you feel something in your body when someone starts talking, pay attention to that so that you know the kind of response that's going to boil out, mm -hmm. I guess, if you will. And politics especially, we see them in our current culture, especially connected to morality. Mm -hmm. They're very, really difficult to separate. And I think we can actually begin to do a little bit more separation than we currently do, <laughs> and that might help. <laughs> um, and and understanding, having a better understanding of a two-kingdom approach mm -hmm. and things like that. Uh, 
looking at the Gospels themselves and how Jesus interacted with people that had very different both political and moral ideas than he believed or taught or confessed is really helpful to gain what empathy looks like with people that we disagree with. I mean, not it's not what would Jesus do, but it's like, <laughs> wow, Savior of the world walked around for 33 years. I'm definitely going to look into what he did while he was here and learn from him because he's pretty amazing. Uh, and God does everything perfect. So why wouldn't I look to him for what that actually looks like, even though I'm not ever going to attain it or try to attain it? I do want to kind of look at his vantage point. And so Jesus interacted with all kinds of people that clearly had different political beliefs than he did. And he valued and honored, for instance, the Romans, who in his Jewish cultural heritage would have been the absolute enemy, Mm -hmm. but he healed their children and their servants Mm -hmm. and entered their homes. You know, like, that's a valuable place that we see empathy come out in the Gospels that I think we don't want to miss. Don't want to Don't forget the the Samaritan woman at the Mm -hmm. well. I mean, you've got this, this person who is about as opposite from his position as can be, and yet, you know, he converses with her, he speaks with her, and shows that he knows her mm-hmm. and loves her. The one thing I notice in that story in particular, and I talk about this a lot in my book, The Mighty and the Mysterious, is that I'm always shocked at how often both Jesus and God the Father ask questions. Mm. That is their primary method of communicating with humankind. It's wild. If you think about even back with Adam and Eve, Mm -hmm. sin enters the world. What's God's first response? Connecting and questions. It's wild that God asks questions of us at all. He already knows the answer. So we have to assume that half the point is connecting with us. And so I think we can learn from that then in that Samaritan woman at the well story. That's how Jesus connects with someone who has a very different vantage point, who is also lost in sin, even at that moment, a a terrible cycle of sin, which I think Mm -hmm. if we were honest enough, we would realize that, especially with our words, we're all trapped in a cycle of sin a lot. And so I think asking questions when we encounter someone and don't understand their perspective or hear something we don't like that gets our body reactive and things like that would be a great place to start mm-hmm. instead of making a statement of belief or assumption or perception. Yeah. Yeah. I love what you have to say about self-awareness and how this can be a root of empathy. If you understand really where you stand and more importantly, why and how you got to that place, mm-hmm. then you are ready, I think, in a different way to recognize that not everybody had that same set of experiences um, and and inputs that brought you to that place and and allows you to then imagine uh, a different outcome had the factors in your life been different. Um, And also, I I love what you say about the, the delighting in differences, that this isn't something to be afraid afraid of. Now, granted, there are some things that are actually sins and that we should definitely <laughs> run away from um, and not just say, ah, vive la de France and, and call it good. <laughs> <Didn't> go well. <laughs> but <laughs> but um, for example, speaking of empathy, I cannot imagine a world in which I would wear popsicle pants out of the house. <laughs> However... I have this friend named Bree who rocks them. Me? And just because I wouldn't wear them, no offense, doesn't take mean it, I don't, don't take immense delight in seeing her wear them. Because I realize that this is an area in which uh, diversity is a, is a beautiful thing. So mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe you could talk about delight and self-awareness a little bit more. I love that we talked about popsicle pants instead of something <laughs> like hardcore. This is the ladies' lounge. Google Maps this is it, how guys. We do it. Thirteen thirty-three South Kirkwood Road. I'm there in my popsicle pants. I'm gonna pants. need photos. Um, well, I have them. It's Google Maps. <laughs> I love it. 
<laughs> I love it. Um, I think that self-awareness gets a bad rap because mm-hmm. as Christians, we're like, well... It's too spiritual. Yeah, and it's, it's this idea... It's too idea. self-centered. We're just exactly. arrogant. It's about me. Yeah, yeah. that mm-hmm. we don't... I just wrote a blog on, like, the duality of worth as well as humility. Mm-hmm. So, again, holding those things together, believing that I am a valuable child of God as I am, and um, I have a lot of awesome gifts and I am pretty awesome in God's creation and all that stuff. And then also knowing that I'm extremely flawed and there are other people who can do a lot of stuff better than I can. And maybe popsicle pants aren't my thing and that's someone else's thing because they can look good in them and I have zero interest in that. That is that's a biblical concept. Mm-hmm. So that's what we're talking about, about self-awareness, rooting around inside ourselves. And I think it's a really Lutheran concept, although it's from the Psalms. So it's not like Lutherans made it up again. <laughs> God wrote You're it saying the psalmists weren't Lutheran? What? Yeah, right. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, what? <laughs> that's for another podcast, that discussion. Um, the created me a clean heart. Essentially, when David asked that, he's saying to God, please root around in me and make me self-aware. So we understand from a Lutheran and Christian perspective of self-awareness that this is about intimacy with God. I'm not ever doing those things on my own because that's pretty useless. I wouldn't see the terrible parts of myself. I wouldn't see probably the good parts of myself either. I need the spirit, enlighten, guide, help, counsel, all those things that the spirit does. And so when we say that, when we confess, confession is such a broader concept than um, simply like laying down our sins so Jesus can pick them up and put them on the cross and we're forgiven. That's a great element of it. But confession is also recognizing who I am, what God is doing in my life, and letting him root around to grow us, you know, and in that way, it's really like growth mindset oriented in order to get to the empathy between me and you and our relationship. So the closer we are to God, the more in touch we are in conversation with God and him identifying the good, the bad, and the ugly inside of us, the better our relationships will be. Doesn't mean they'll be less complicated, (laughs) but they will even feel, I believe, easier to walk through because we have a better foundation, uh, not just in, you know, abstract but in actual practice. I wanted to go back to you. You were you like briefly mentioned questions and asking questions and listening to people. And I think we have a hard time on social media and in real life um, listening, like actually knowing how to listen to people. Like it is a learned skill of having a conversation with somebody and knowing how to listen to somebody to understand what they're saying not just to respond. We're so quick to judge and we're so quick to respond. But I love what you're saying about uh, asking questions and and digging more into what somebody else is actually saying Mm -hmm. in order to learn about them. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, one of my favorite topics is the concept of knowing. And so a lot of my research is in this, and I love uncovering the concept of that word. And I'm not talking about the biblical no as in (laughs) physical intimacy between a man and his wife. But instead, yeah, that's a different episode. I think Uh, Heather was on here for that episode. Yeah. Um, I'm talking about the concept of no. And the best way that we understand this is through Paul's words, you know, I want to know Christ Mm -hmm. and the power of his resurrection. That's the kind of know we're talking about. And we see it actually, though, if we go back all the way in Genesis. So what is the point of relationship? What is the point of God creating man at all is to know, because otherwise God doesn't need us. Like, what does he need from us? What do we do for him? I mean, he could exist fine without us. We don't offer him anything. And we say that in church and Mm -hmm. it's part of the liturgy. But he does want to know us. And he shows us that by being incarnated. He shows us that by the Holy Spirit coming to live inside of us. He wants to know who we are by prayer being a massive thing that he offers us to be able to be in conversation with him continually. And so even the Lord's Supper 
it's about intimacy and taking the body and blood of Christ into myself. There's a, a knowing element to that. And I don't know if I'm being too abstract here, but the, the knowing then pours out into our relationships in the horizontal realm mm -hmm. with one another. What's the point? Am I looking to my relationships to do stuff for me? That's cool, but we'll lack some empathy then. Mm -hmm. Like it will be all about what I need from you. It'll be a lot easier to listen and have conversations if I'm really concerned about the art of knowing mm -hmm. in a relationship. Like one thing I say to my oldest daughter, because she's getting ready to go to college and everything, wow. and it's just such a tender time in life and trying to wrestle with this new relationship is, you know, I want to know you. I don't have expectations of who you're going to be. I just want to know who that person is. Mm -hmm. And so I want to discover you. And that's one thing I try to interact with my children and parenting is, of course, there's expectations about how you behave in our house and things like that. But what are the expectations we have for people? And how is that getting in the way of the knowing? There's a place for both, again, holding them in balance. God himself creates boundaries and expectations for us. Mm -hmm. uh, he fulfills them all, thankfully. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but at the same time, the knowing seems to always trump things mm -hmm. in God's world because he did offer Jesus to us so that we could know him. Otherwise, we would be separated eternally from him. And I just think that's a beautiful picture. And so it's a little easier to enter into a conversation when I know that that's my purpose, is to know you, not to get stuff from you, mm -hmm. and to be even on the same page. Like, I think we have a messed up idea of unity in the church in that way. Like, we all need to think the same way, even mm -hmm. about theological things. I think there's a beautiful place where God meets, for instance, Jacob, and wrestles with him, God invites us also to that. And we can do that with one another, too. That maybe unity isn't just shoving everything that's different under the rug. <laughs> Again, being different isn't always bad. I want to mention one thing about over-empathy, yeah. just because I think we do a disservice if we leave the conversation without mentioning that there is a detriment when we engage in empathy in such a way that we are not taking care of ourselves. So we are attempting then to stand in the place of God and take on other people's burdens in such a way that that was intended for God to do. Our job as Christians is to really point people to what God can give them in their life and not necessarily give them that thing. And so this is especially comes into play in ministry circumstances. I see it a lot in our worker families that are just exhausted because they're not only sitting beside someone in their burden and suffering and sharing and caring and all those good things, but they're also taking it on as their own burden. And I think one of the ways to contextualize this is we do want to share the burden together in order to share it together, our entire job is to get it to Jesus. Like, I'm helping you pass it to Jesus, so I'm not trying to do that work of saving myself. Mm -hmm. And this happens in big and little ways, mm -hmm. uh, and it impacts so much in our lives. And I think we see it on social media. Mm -hmm. uh, we end up taking in all the horrible things that happen in people's lives, and we see so much of it every day. We don't even need the news anymore for that. We see the <laughs> things happening, and people are posting about it. And, mm -hmm. you know, we have to be in a place where we see both our connectedness in the body of Christ in particular, or just in humanity, but we also have to see that I can't carry that burden for you. I want to sit with you in that and care for you and help you give that burden to the God who saves. Amen to Amen. that. There, it's, it's, some, it's so much easier to armchair quarterback someone else's mess <laughs> than it is to deal with your own mess. And so we see that a lot this well. I don't want to deal with my own problems, but oh, look, you seem to be having a worse time than I am. Poor thing. Let me just like <laughs> wallow in your misery for a while. Mm -hmm. And so I think that you're you're so right that over empathy can be a negative thing and counterproductive both for them and for you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, and it takes a detriment on our bodies. We experience physical struggles mm -hmm. uh, with this. And again, our job isn't to be savior. 
Right. That's never been our job. And I love how the Psalms give us both the sword, you know, which we know from New Testament fulfillment is the sword of the spirit, the word of God, but it also gives us the shield. Mm -hmm. And so I think of the shield as God's way of also helping ourselves see ourselves as individuals and being okay with the fact that I'm not you and you're not me. And that is true both in trying to see from your perspective, but also in understanding that the burden is yours and I can be with you in that. I can suffer and rejoice with you in it is what the scriptures say, but I'm going to let God save it. Well, Heidi, it has been awesome having you in studio. Uh, we always get to talk with you, you know, via via the internet, but you're here in the flesh today, Woo! which has been so great. Um, and before we, we totally wrap this up, where can we find your writings, your blog, your videos, your books? All of, You have so much stuff. Where can we find all of that? I can always be found at HeidiGaiman.com. My <laughs> name doesn't make any sense to spell it, so it's <laughs> H-E-I-D-I-G-O-E-H-M-A-N-N. And you can find pretty much anything Heidi Gaiman related with links from there. You can subscribe to the blog to get articles weekly. And then I am on YouTube mm-hmm. and Facebook under Heidi Gaiman Writes, mm-hmm. Instagram Heidi Gaiman, and Snapchat Heidi Adventures. Oh, nice. Mm. And you're also on the coffee hour regularly with us for Mental Health Mondays. So if you want to dig into some more mental health stuff on podcasts, you can you can find Mental Health Mondays um, at kfuo.org slash mental health Monday. So there's that as well. So Heidi, it has been wonderful having you in studio to, to talk us through. We probably just scratched the surface about empathy, but it was great to actually like dig into it a little bit uh, because of how often we have brought it up. Up in some of our podcasts. So you can find more uh, Lutheran Ladies Lounge podcast episodes at kfuo.org slash Lutheran Ladies Lounge. Search for us on your podcasting app. Um, or, of course, you can find us on Facebook in the Lutheran Ladies Lounge Facebook group. There's a, a huge group of women there uh, talking about lots of things, bringing up lots of topics. You're listening to the Lutheran Ladies Lounge podcast. I'm Sarah. I'm Erin. I'm Bree. And I'm Rachel. Views and opinions expressed on the Lutheran Ladies' Lounge podcast may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO Radio, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. The Lutheran Ladies' Lounge is produced by KFUO Radio and available at kfuo.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Join our community on Facebook in the Lutheran Ladies' Lounge.